Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, and they overcame, it's really a theme of the whole series, really a theme of the whole book of Revelation, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. I wanna to talk to you today just for a moment uh, from chapters two and three, uh, writings to the churches. Uh, but I wanna to talk to you today on the topic of facing pressure, facing pressure. The, the seven churches were facing great, great pressure uh, from persecution from all over. We talked a little bit about it last week, but the churches were not dealing with the kind of persecution that we think we're dealing with here in the United States of America, but really they were dealing with major persecution where believers were being tortured and they were being tormented and they were being killed uh, and they were being isolated and they were all these different things. And so they were facing this great pressure, but I love Revelation chapter 12. It's the theme of the book of Revelation. It's the theme of the letter of Revelation. And we, they, we see it's that that they overcome. They overcome what? In order to overcome something, you have to be going through something. And they were going through great pressure and great persecution, and, but yet they overcame because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The theme is this, Jesus reigns and those who believe in him will reign with him. That's the theme of Revelation. Uh, I, really what we're talking about and why we're studying Revelation, I talked to you about it last week, just kind of recapping, we, we, we study Revelation for preparation, for perspective, and, and for peace, for preparation, we want to be prepared. We want to be prepared and know that Jesus is coming back. We want to be a church, a body of believers, individuals that are prepared for his, his coming. We want to have perspective. We will understand as we read Revelation, it gives us a greater perspective of eternity. It's not about what, what happens on this earth, but it's about us believing in him because one day we will live an eternity with him. And then it's about peace. It's, it's not creating fear, but it's this peace because we know Jesus does reign above it all. Revelation chapter one and verse 19, Revelation is broken up into three sections. It says, write these things down. This is Jesus speaking to John. He says, write these things down, uh, writes which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place, which you've seen, which are, and which will take place. And so last week we kind of talked about chapter one, which is really what you've seen. But now in chapters two and three, really we, there, he's talking, uh, writing a letter to the seven churches about what is happening in the moment. He says, so what is, what is our? And then chapters four through 22, we'll get into starting in the next week's coming. Four through 22 is really all about things to come. Okay, so you, you're wondering, you want to talk about the future and you want to hear about all this stuff. I'm glad you do. You got to come back next week and the week after and the week after that. Come on, somebody. You got to go to church. Come on. But this, this week, I want to talk to you about chapters two and three. And really, this is Jesus. He's, he's, he comes and he appears to John. He says, I want you to write these things down. He says, I want you to write to the seven churches. And these seven churches, uh, we have a map I want to show you if you want to pull that up. These seven churches uh, on the, uh, there who go right here. And really, this is the seven churches. And Patmos was not one of the churches. Patmos was where John was actually exiled to. He was in isolation. It was an island. And he was being persecuted. And his persecution was not death, but it was isolation in Patmos. And so he writes, Jesus meets with him and he writes 
uh, to these seven churches. Now, as we talk about these seven churches, the hardest part of this message is going to be saying the names of the churches correctly. Come on, somebody. If you don't believe me, just read some of those. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's like, oh, Philadelphia, got it. Yeah, cool, we got one. Praise God for one. But he's writing these seven churches. He's writing to them and he he's writes individual text to each one of them. And through this, what we've done is we've kind of, I've kind of, combined some of them and so through the seven churches he really talks about four topics and I want to talk to those four topics as they were facing pressure as they were facing persecution really he kind of breaks down the importance of what he's going through now I will say this he wrote to the seven churches in fact in in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22 it says anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Okay, so Revelation was written to the seven churches. But it doesn't just stop there. We know it wasn't just a letter to the seven churches. It was written to them, but it was written for us. It says, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22, we can pull it back up. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Okay, so if that's the case, he's writing to the churches. He would would just say, okay, I'm writing these churches. No, then he goes on and says, and anyone with ears to hear. I want you to, uh, to listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to these churches. Why? Because written, it's written to the seven churches, but it's written for us. It's written to the churches for us. All text is written in the Scripture is written for us. And so really what I see in this Scripture is really four things that the, the enemy can try to come against us or try to, could try to attack us with and really four things that we must do to really as a church, as believers in this day and age especially that we are to do really to, to really stand firm as we face the pressures of culture. You may not be facing pressure where you feel like, okay, I, my life's good. We got some things going good with the family. You may not be feeling pressure from different things in your job. You may be doing good in your job. But we all in our society are facing, facing pressure for, from, for standing for Christ. I would go a step further and I would even say our morals and our beliefs are under attack in our society. And so there's this pressure that these churches are going through, and we'll see it. It's very crazy as these churches are going through them. It's very crazy how it lines up with what we're going through. But there's such pressure to conform to what society and culture is saying and doing. And God wants us to be a people that know that, okay, as we read this, we see this, we study this, and we know, okay, God desires for us to be a people that as we face pressure, that we would be ones to stand according to his purpose and his plan. Amen? First, first. Uh, church is Ephesus. The first church is Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, I know your works and I know your labor. I know your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have had patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Okay, so here's, here's Jesus talking to the church of Ephesus and he's giving them encouragement. He's saying, listen, I've seen your good works. I've seen that you've been laboring. I've seen that you've been persevering. I've seen that you've even had discernment where someone says they're an apostle and you found that they're not. And so he's encouraging them. Then it's kind of like all the good things. You know, as a parent, you say the good things and all of a sudden now you're spanking them. You know what I'm saying? Here's what he says right here. Nevertheless, in verse four, I have this against you. 
that you have left your first love. Look how far you have fallen. Take back, turn back, excuse me, to me and do the works you did at first. He tells him, you're doing a great job. I see all the things you're doing. You're, 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 you're persevering, you're believing, you have discernment. But I have this one thing. This one thing is that you've lost your first love. As believers, the pressure that we have to be, make sure that we stand on the, as we face pressures and we face culture and all these different things, we have to be first, know and stand that we have to be a people that keep our passion. We keep our passion. And I know a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I talked about passion and passion isn't a volume and, and passion is really, it's a heart condition and that's true. But here's, here's what's interesting about this church, Ephesus. They were people that if you looked from the outside, people would say, wow, God's really moving. They were doing great works for the kingdom. But the problem was their works became their God. They based their relationship with God on their works and serving. And Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. We are supposed to be concerned about the one we are doing the works for. The creator, not the creation. And so he says, you've lost your first love. And for, as Christians, as believers, it is so easy to lose our passion. If you're a believer and you've been a believer for any sort of amount of time, if you're not a believer, cool, we're glad you're here. You're, you're, you're cooler than we are, I can promise you that. But I'll say this, if you have been a believer for any amount of time, we've all dealt with the, 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 the I'll say the trial, the, the, the heart or the, 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 the struggle of losing our, our passion. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, we've all struggled with, oh my gosh, I've lost my first love. Why? Because life happens. Kids happen and families happen and busyness happens and jobs happen and all these things. And next thing you know, we forget the most important priority of our lives and that's Jesus Christ in our lives. I love it because he says this in verse four. He says, go back and do the things you first did. See, oftentimes what we do is we get our routines. If we've been Christians for a while, our routine can get us to the place of where we feel comfortable in our Christianity. Well, yeah, because I serve a little bit or, oh, I go to church and oh, I go to small group and oh, I, oh, I know the Bible. And so I've, I know the stories. Oh, I worship. I lift my hands like halfway during worship, not like hall all the way, but like halfway during worship. Like I kind of, you know, I'm holding the TV during worship. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and here's what it is when we're talking about losing our first love, we're talking about passion. Here's what it is. It's this concept of, okay, here's what I do. I look at my life and I say, okay, God, have I allowed other things in my life to come first? Because if I have, here's what I'm doing. I'm slowly allowing myself to lose the passion in my heart for my relationship with Jesus. And here's what happens. Here's a great test for us as Christians to know if we've lost our pa passion or not. See, God's presence creates passion, okay? As we're in his presence, y'all remember when you were first saved, for those that were Christians, you remember when you were first saved, all you wanted to do was get in his presence. I want to read the scripture. I want to know more about the scripture. I want to pray. I want to worship. I don't care what song it is. I just want to worship. I don't care what scriptures. The wonder of the word is unbelievable when you're a first Christian. It's like everything's jumping in. Like, oh my gosh. And then we get to the place where we've been Christians a while. And here's what happens. Now, oh, I've heard this story. 
Oh, I've read that scripture. Now it's, oh, this isn't my song. Oh, this song's 20 years old. I'm not even 20 years old. Oh, this song's only, uh, it was, just came out two weeks ago. I don't know this song. This isn't a hymn. And here's what happens. Uh, when we lose our passion, our preferences become first in our lives. You want to judge to where your passion is for Christ? Is it my, my preference is more important or is presence more important? We start to make our relationship with God about our preferences and not about his presence. It's the same thing with your relationship with your wife, for those that are married, your spouse. For those that are married, it's the same thing with the relationship with your spouse. You get so passionate when you're dating them. Come on, somebody. Y'all remember when you dated? Some of us, it was a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? But you remember when you're dating, like you couldn't hear their voice enough. You couldn't be around them enough. I remember I would literally with Ashley, I would, it would, it would, I'd, have, I'd have seven minutes and I would go stop by her house just to go say hello. And it was like, ah, it's wonderful just to say hello. Then you get married. And then they're trying to smother you with the pillow at night because you're snoring. They don't want to just not be around you. They want to kill you. Why? Because here's what it is. Because we get through routine and through routine, we start to slowly allow our passion to dwindle. And then our relationship becomes about us and not about our spouse. It's the same thing with God. We can oftentimes get so comfortable in our Christianity that we make our relationship with God about us and not about him. That's why I love worship songs that just completely focus just on God. Because literally, my life is, is, is desire is to just honor him. I don't need to worship for me. I need to worship because he is great. And so here's what it is. It's this concept of us understanding, okay, I, God, let me evaluate my heart. If I allowed my relationship to become more about you, about me, I'm, excuse me, than I have about you. Because in the end, God, my heart is not uh, to get something from you. It's to honor you because of who you are and what you've done for me. It's this passion that says, you know what, God, it's not about me. It's not my preferences. And again, it's his presence. If you're in a place where you've lost your passion, you feel like my passion is dwindling, I would encourage you to get back into his presence. He says, go back. He says, go back to what you first did. Go back to reading the word with wonder. Go back to the worship and just say, God, it's me. And you go back to just spending time in your, in your prayer life with just you and him and allow God to begin to change you and, and allow God to begin to renew your passion for his life. And here's the interesting, the interesting thing about passion. Passion doesn't, when we lose our passion, it's not just like one day we have passion, the next day we don't. Passion slowly dwindles. You know, we, we, in the scripture, in the text, in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about the parables, he talks about the, the 10 bridesmaids and he talks about them all having their lamps. And we've kind of talked about it a little bit last week, but they had their lamps. And it says that scripture says that, that five of them had enough oil and five of them did not. And they were not prepared for when the bride came. You know, it's interesting as they, they actually use the oil and the lamp. See, oftentimes we as, as believers in our day and age with electricity, we think a lamp and oil is just like this flick on, flick off. So here's what it is. Like if I want to turn these lights off, we can turn these lights off. It's like, and all the lights go off. If we want the lights on, we, all the lights go on. But here's what it is. It was very interesting because this week that I, as I was outside at my back porch and we, I have tiki torches. 
Come on, somebody with some tiki torches. You know what I'm saying? I have tiki torches because I don't like the mosquitoes. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if you're where I'm from in Louisiana, it's the mosquitoes. You know what I'm saying? I don't like the skeeters. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, I don't, I don't enjoy getting bit by mosquitoes. So here's what it is. I have tiki torches. Now, it was interesting to me. The oil and one, and one of the tiki torches was getting low. As the oil and the tiki torches were getting low, as it was getting low, the flames started getting less and less. It was so interesting because God was setting me up here. He was setting me up for this message because he knew I was speaking about this, okay? And, so, and I could turn anything into a message. Come on, somebody. And so it was interesting. I was out there for like an hour. And it slowly went down. And for an hour, it slowly, slowly, slowly went down. And even after the hour, the flame was still not out. It was just barely burning. Here's what was interesting. The slowness of the burn allowed my eyes to be adjusted to the dark. And so what happened was it was st started super bright, but, and if you, I would have just shut the light off, then it would have been like, okay, you, can't, you know what I'm talking about? You know, the light goes off and y'all can't see you're like, what's happening. But the light fading so slowly caused me to get adjusted to where then I was still able to see and function. This is what happens with our passion as Christians, as believers. We allow ourselves to think our light is bright. We get, we get saved and our lamp and our oil is burning. We're loving Jesus. But then it slowly starts to dwindle through routine, through life that happens, through hurt, through pain. And then here's what happens. It goes out so slowly that we can adjust our walks to where we feel like we're doing okay. We're serving at church and we're going to small group and we're, go, we're, we're saying amen and we're worshiping a little bit. And here's what happened. It's dwindled so much so that now we're doing something and we're thinking our lives are okay when it should be the important part is we need the flame to burn. See, we can function as believers without passion. If you've been to church in any amount of time of your life, we can function as believers as far as in front of everybody without the, without the passion. But God wants us to be a people that we burn so bright that not only are we lit up, but those around us see him through us. And he says, you've lost your, you lost your first love. I have one thing against you. If there's one thing, oh my goodness. If there's one thing that the church in America is missing, it's true godly passion. Not hype, because there's a lot of hype. It's true godly passion. What is that? Let me explain what that is. My passion is so strong, I'm committed no matter what I face or what I receive. I'm so passionate, I don't care if I'm broke, I'm serving Jesus. I don't care if I'm hurt, I'm serving Jesus. I don't care if, I, I don't care if I'm sick, I'm serving Jesus. I, I'm passionate, and my passionate is shown by my commitment to him. I'm not going to waver left or right, no matter the, with the way that I feel. No, I'm passionate for him. And he says, you lost your first love. We have to be a church. We have to be believers that desire to keep our passion committed to him, serving him. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. This is to the two churches, okay? I'm going to do two churches now because they kind of hit the same things. The church of Pergamum, Pergamum, Pergamum there it is, and then Thyatira. Thyatira and Pergamum, okay? So I said it right. There it is. Pergamum and then Thyatira. Okay, good. Thyatira and Pergamum. Revelation chapter 2 
Pergamum, this is the first, this first church. And he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are so, some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they, are, they, have, they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed to sexual immorality. And then Thyatira, and in chapter two and verse 20, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You, t- you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet by teaching the misleading of servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. As we talk about revelation, we're talking about facing pressure. We have to, if culture, we have to keep our passion, but then also we must keep our purity. We must keep our purity. It's almost like purity has become a curse word. Can I encourage you in the room that purity, and again, the culture has created this pressure that makes us think this is not true, but it is, that purity is not this unattainable goal. It's not this pipe dream that we, we just hope one day to receive. No, purity is, it, Christ is purity. And he desires for us to be a people that live and walk in purity, whether we're married or not. God has called us to be a people that live in purity. This is one of the pressures that the temptation of the churches were facing. They were facing purity. Let me explain what was happening here. Actually, in this time and day and age, these two churches, actually what they were doing is they would have priestess and prophets that were actually people that were prostitutes. And so people would go to the temple and they would pay or their tithe and then they would, the, the, the priestess and the prophets would prostitute themselves to these people. And so again, obviously that's not happening in church right now, obviously, but this is what it is. It's this concept of understanding. We can quickly get into the, uh, the, the concept of our lives start to adapt with what culture has. And now we think that Christianity is just like, I hope you make it in your purity. Oh, I, ho- I, hope, I hope you can stay pure. Oh, I, we're just believing and praying you can stay pure. No, purity, I believe, is a standard that God has called us to. For those that are dating in the room, purity is what God's called you to in your dating relationship. For those of us that are married, married purity is, is God has called us and demanded us and commanded us to live in our relationship. It's not this unobtainable goal. It's not this pipe dream. I feel like the enemy and culture has pressured us as Christians so much so with all the different things and all the movies and TV and social media and celebrities and all the different things that it's, bec- it's become this pressure that gets us to the place of where now we think purity is this unobtainable goal. It is what it is. I'm trying, but I can't. And that's not the case. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians chapter four and verse eight. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and think about these things. They are excellent and worthy of praise. I love this because he says, fix your thoughts. It's almost like he knows our thoughts are off. How many of you know humanity is broken? Humanity is broken. We as humans in our flesh were broken. And so in our own natural humanity, our brain and our thoughts are automatically gonna go to brokenness. They're gonna automatically go to the impure things. And so we have to be a people that fix our thoughts on the things of God. 
Meaning, like you're just like something's broken in your house and you gotta get out a screwdriver and you gotta fix it. You gotta call somebody to help you. You know what I'm saying? If you like me, you gotta call somebody to help you. Hey, bro, I'm about to electrocute myself. Come help me. It's the same thing with our purity. It's, we have to fix our thoughts. We gotta call people and say, hey, I need help. I need somebody to walk with me and encourage me and strengthen me. This is why we do small groups. And I love our small groups because we, we're able to gather together and we're able to walk together and journey together and pray for one another and fight for one another. Why? Because we know God has called us to a standard of purity. Just fix your thoughts. I love this because it shows us that it takes work. It's interesting to me how in society as Christians, we, can, we almost think that purity is something that we, like, we fall upon. Like, it just, it, we accidentally like trip and like, oh, I'm pure. I'm, I'm, I'm living so pure. Like we trip and oh yeah, I'm, so, I'm living so pure. Praise Jesus, he's just got me so pure. It's like it's this, it's this accident that happens. No, purity is something we work on. It's not something that happens to us. And so here's what it is. If I want to live a life of purity, I have to work to fix my mind. I have to work to fix my eyes. Meaning this, if something in your life, a social network or a person in your life is causing you to stumble in your purity, you cut it off. <gasps> That's so mean. I'm sorry if it's mean, it's the truth. If we really wanna live a life of purity, we have to set ourselves up for success. We are living in a culture, I was talking with, with our guys' small group on Thursday mornings. If you're a man in the room and you would love to join us at 6 a.m. on Thursdays, come and come our small group, it's awesome. But we were talking this past Thursday and they were talking to me how that now the algorithms on, on our phones, y'all know, you like, you mention like an iron. Next thing you know, like all of a sudden you're looking, you're like 17 irons are asking, you know what I'm saying? You, you mentioned you wanted to get your hair cut, you know what I'm saying? And all these places of your hair, all, like what is happening? They're listening, hello, you know, they're listening. And all these algorithms, people are paid, think about this, people are paid millions of dollars. Millions and millions and millions of dollars are being spent all the time on trying to figure out what it is you click on and think about so that you will be tempted to click that thing again. So think about this, this one time you click a picture or one time you click an image or one time you click an article and here's what happens. Now you're bombarded with those things. The world and the culture is trying to bombard us. They're spending money to, to try to bombard us, to get us to fall into impurity. And we think we can just accidentally, like, I'm pure. We just think we accidentally just trip and we just become pure. No, if the world is trying that hard to get us to a place where we're trying to be impure, then God is wanting us to say, okay, I need to set up some walls in my life. I need to set up some accountability in my life. I need to make sure that I'm standing and strong when God's calling me. Why? Because I know it's me fixing my thoughts. Why? Because God is calling me to be pure. He says there's one thing, church of Thyra and per Pergam. There's one thing, it's impurity. You're doing all the other things great, but there's impurity. You've allowed the culture to set in and the culture of, of impurities now is in your church and it's in your lives. 
You need to remove these things. And it's interesting to me how we look at these in our day and age and now the, the church of America, is there, there's such apathy and there's such non-commitment and, and there's, no, there's no passion. And then right next to that, we see the church and all of, we see people all the time that are believers and men and women of God and they're falling to impurity. Why? Because it's the temptation of the enemy. And the enemy knows what it is to try to get us to lose our passion and try to lose our purity and God sees us and again he's coming and he's saying here's what you got to do you got to keep your passion you got to keep your purity this is what God has called us to do amen Amen. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 this is for the churches of Sardis and Laodicea Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 it says I know your works this is to Sardis I know your works that you and you have a name that you are alive I know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are really dead Revelation chapter three and verse 15 says, I know your deeds that neither you are cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You read this, and I'm, I, when I was a kid growing up in church and I'd read this and I'm, I, I would always think like God's gonna vomit me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know, that's not what he's talking about here. God wants us to be a church and he's talking to these churches. We want us to be individuals that we keep our passion, we keep our purity, but then also that we keep our purpose, our purpose. In this text, he says, I know that you're alive. He's talking to the church of Sardis. He says, I know that you say you're alive, but you're dead. Then he goes on into the church of Laodicea and he says, I see that you're neither hot nor cold but that you're lukewarm. Now, you have to know the text here, and let me explain it to you. Laodicea was a, if you want to pull up that map, can you pull up that map? I'll show them. But Laodicea was a town that was not anywhere near water, okay? It was not near the, see where the water is. Laodicea was the furthest of all the churches of all the letters. And so if you're wondering why he wrote to, the, written, wrote to these seven churches, I can tell you this as well. If you kind of see from Ephesus up to Samira and then to Pergamum, to uh, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, Laodicea, that's a trade route. That's, that's the kind of the main trade route, what they would do. They would make that circle, okay? So just so you know. But anyway, so Laodicea was the furthest away from water in the trade route, okay? And so Laodicea, let me just explain it. What they would do around them, and, and right like in between them and Philadelphia, was more mountains. And that, that had cold, cold, cold uh, springs and streams that were in the mountains, okay? Then on a, on a, on a town near Laodicea, there were hot springs, okay? So there were really cold uh, 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 creeks. And then Laodicea, next to Laodicea, there was a, a town that had hot springs. Okay, let me explain. The hot springs people would go to in Laodicea and all the other areas, they would go to these hot springs and there were minerals really strong in the hot springs. And what they would do is they would go into the hot springs for healing of their skin. And so they would go and they would lay in these hot springs. And as they would lay in the springs, their, their skin would get healed from sickness, disease, irritation, whatever it was. And so this is what people would do. They would use the hot springs for healing. And then what they would do was in, in the mountains, they would use creeks. These creeks had refreshing water. Okay, so what they would do, and actually Laodicea was a very, very wealthy city, a very wealthy town. And so what they did is they built, they built like a pipeline, if you will, that, that went from the mountains all the way to Laodicea. Okay, and so here's what happened. The water would run from the mountains into Laodicea, but by the time it got to Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. Okay, so it wasn't hot because it had no hot springs and it wasn't cold because it wasn't in the mountains. And so they had lukewarm water, which this is why it's, if you ever had lukewarm water, I'm not talking about room temperature, but like lukewarm, you know, you'd sat in the car a little while and you try to drink it. It's like, what? you know what I'm talking about? 
It's not tasty. It doesn't taste good. And so here's what happens. You want to spit it out your mouth. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's disgusted with these churches because, not because they don't love him, but because what they've done is they, they're living their lives but they, and for him, but they have no purpose. Let me explain. See, the purpose of the hot springs were to bring healing. The purpose of the, of the, of the cold springs was to bring refreshing. Okay, so he's saying, I'm looking at your life and the way that you're living. You're bringing no healing to people because there's no hot heat in your life. And then you're bringing no refreshing there's no joy that you bring to people's lives and so here's what's happening you're lukewarm you're not having any purpose and so now he's saying I, I, I gotta spit you out my mouth and so here's what he's saying in our lives when we're talking about the churches we need to be a people that understand God has called us to a purpose what is that purpose? To bring hope, healing, and a home to people in Tallahassee and beyond. That's the purpose of our church. But the purpose of every individual as a Christian is this. The purpose is to help people see Jesus, know Jesus, and be with Jesus in eternity. That's our purpose. Our purpose is not to make a bunch of money. I was thinking about this the other day, how we dream so much so. For all these things in life and all these financial securities and all these, these, these things that we may want. And all those things are great. But all those things are secondary to the purpose of us allowing people to see Jesus through us. And allowing people to continue to know him because of the way that we're living our lives. Jesus says you're not hot nor cold. He's not saying you don't love me. He's not saying your spirit. No, he's saying you, there's no purpose. You, what you're doing is just living your lives and you have no purpose. And so here's what you're doing. It, it, you, you're wasting your time. All of us in this room, God has called us in if, to a purpose. And if you've not gotten to listen to the message from last month uh, called Living on Mission, I would encourage you to go listen to that. But it's really, we talked the whole time about how God has called us to a purpose in, in our lives. And I encourage you, I believe this. If you feel like you don't have a purpose, you do. You're like, oh, I don't have a lot of giftings. It doesn't matter. God's called us all to be a people. He's put us in places around us to be lights so that we could truly allow others to see him through us. And I believe this. God wants to use not just the pastor, but all of us for people to see him and continue to know him through us. Amen. So this is what we're talking about purpose. Last as we close, because I gotta go, here we go. In Revelation chapter two and verse 10. This is, to the, this is to the church of Smyrna in Philadelphia. It says, Revelation chapter two and verse 10. It says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Revelation chapter three, that was to Smyrna. This is to Philadelphia. Revelation chapter three and verse 10, it says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world. So test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. He's talking to these four churches. And again, I believe that this, this book of Revelation was written to the churches, but it's for us. We have to be a people that keep our passion, to keep our purity, to keep our purpose. And lastly, we have to be a people that keep our faith. It doesn't line up with a P, I know. It doesn't start with a P, I know. I couldn't think of anything with faith and purpose. I'm sorry. I mean, with, for faith and a P, with a P. So anyways, it's faith. Keep our faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Check this out. It says, I have fought the good fight. This is Paul speaking in his last days. It says, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. And for those of you who've read the letters of Paul in the scripture, he fought a lot. He says, I've finished the race. But then he says something so interesting. He says, I have kept the faith. 
Do you know it's interesting to us as we continue to grow as humans, as we get older and even when we're younger, but you know that we always hold on to the things. We keep, for memory's sake, the things that are most valuable to us. For those of your parents in the room, you probably, have, you probably have letters from your children when they were young and the letter it may not even make sense to you, but because it's a letter and it means something to you, you keep it. And then you're looking through it and when you're older and you're like, oh, that was when they were three years old. You know what I'm saying? We keep the things that mean something to us. Paul's saying here, he's saying, I've finished my race. He knows he's going on to be with Jesus. And he says, I've kept the faith. These two churches, as he's, God's, Jesus is talking to them, and he says, listen, I've seen your heart. He says, I've seen you persevering. See, I believe this. God has called us to be a people that understand and live a life of perseverance. You know, some of the greatest wins in our lives are just not giving up. Some of the greatest wins of continuing to persevere is just when I, even though I may be struggling or even though I may be falling or even though I may be down or even though I may be hurting, I'm just not gonna give up. I'm just gonna get up again and I'm gonna keep on fighting. I'm gonna continue to persevere. Why? Because my goal is to one day as I'm on my deathbed where who, all of us in our room, our goal is that we would be able to say, I've kept the faith. Why? Because my faith is most valuable to me. I've kept the faith. We persevere. We allow ourselves the opportunity to be a people that as we walk with him, as we live for him, as we follow him, we go through struggle, and temptation, trials, and all different things. But we allow ourselves the reward of heaven when even though all those things happen, we still hold on to our faith. Can I encourage you in this room? I don't know where you are with God, but can I encourage you don't give up? Oh, well, I haven't heard God in a long time and I don't, I, I haven't, I, I don't know what's going on and I've been trying, I've been praying. Can I encourage you don't give up? Maybe you're in this room and your marriage is on the fringes. Can I just encourage you, can I just encourage you not to give up? Why? Because I believe God has ordained that marriage for a purpose and I believe God has ordained, maybe you've been through some hurt in your marriage. I just believe it. God wants you to continue on. It's the same thing with our relationship with him. You may be at a place where you're saying, I don't even know if God is real. Don't give up. Continue to persevere. Continue to walk with him. Continue to follow him. Because here's what I know. We sing the song. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're like, why aren't you singing? Now you know why I'm not singing. We sing this song, and it's funny because when we sing this song as a church, it's like all of Christianity, all of Christians. Like we sing this song, and we're all like, we get hyped. We get super hyped. But here's what we should be saying when we leave, that even when I don't feel it, I'm not gonna stop. Even when I don't see it, 
I'm not going to stop. Why? Because God, I know this. You are good. And even though I may not see it right now, I may not feel it right now, I'm not going to quit. Why? Because I know something inside of me believes more than what I see. And so God, yeah, I'm singing. You never stop. But God, just because you don't never stop, guess what? I'm never going to stop. Why? Because you never stop loving me, so I'm never going to stop loving you. Let us be a church, a body of believers that persevere, that keep our faith, that we walk as we look at these churches, see where they were written to the churches for us. Okay, God, you're speaking to us. God, God, where in my life have I lost passion? God, renew and bring that passion back. God, where in my life is there impurity? And impurity may not just be sexual. It could be something else. But God, where in my life are there impurities in my thoughts or my heart? Or maybe it's something I'm looking at and I need to turn it off. God, what in my life is impure? God, I need to renew those. I need to get rid of those things. Why? Because God, I don't want to be like these churches. We want to be like the new church that you've called to at the end where we've kept our faith, we've lived strong, we've believed the way you've called us to believe, and we've lived and followed you to the best of our ability. God, I wanna, I wanna look and value in my life. God, am I walking in purpose? Am I walking in purpose? God, am I passionate about my purpose? And then God, help me to stand strong and hold strong to my faith. Even when get things get tough, even when things go, go sideways, God, I'm going to stand strong. Even when I don't feel it, I'm going to continue to trust you. Why? Because you, you are what I hold value to the most in my life. Hold, hold tight to your faith. And when I say hold tight to your faith, don't allow the lies of the culture to try to distort your faith. But stand firm and know God is with you and he's continuing to walk and lead you and guide you to all truth. Amen. Can we pray today, Father? I thank